This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Allison McCaig here. Um, welcome to episode 17 of the pod. I am joined this week, as usual, by my lovely co-host, Linda Serovich. Hi, Linda. Hey, Allison. And Maggie Wigan. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Allison. So in Mets world, obviously, it's all trade talks all the time right now. Um, the Mets have done the biggest trade of the trading <laughs> deadline, and it was not at all the trade that anyone expected they would do. Um, they they've acquired... done like eighty percent of all of the deadline training. It feels like yeah, yeah right. <laughs> they really have. They actually have. Um, they acquired Marcus Stroman uh, from the Blue Jays uh, in exchange for Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, I'm sure that our 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 buddies over at From Complex to Queens will have all the breakdown for you guys on the quality of prospect package they sent back. You know um, everything about that. Um, but what do you guys think of this trade? I'm okay with it. Like, we were all at the game Sunday, which will be a different conversation later on this podcast. But um, I was, we were driving home, and I get the alert on my phone, and I go, oh, shit. Because <laughs> I'm like, what did they give up? Because for the longest time, they weren't saying what they would give up. And I was like, is this a replacement for Syndergaard? Because Marcus Stroman is a great pitcher but he should not be a replacement for Noah Syndergaard so if you keep both of them I'm very happy but if you only keep Strowman I'm a little less happy even if only like if if you do if you're really high on Strowman and low on Syndergaard I can see where they're close-ish in pure talent but with a whole extra year of Syndergaard I mean that's that is a is a huge difference maker. So, you know, I, I think the value in keeping Sidergard is even further in the future than, than other players that were, that we'd be talking about. And just look at the rotation now too. Like this it's was real the nice. Rota- yeah. I was going to say like, this was the rotation that we had been dreaming about since like Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler. So now you just replace Harvey with Stroman and you still have, you know, Five very, very good pitchers. So I sort of, I view this as one of those, um, much like the Cano trade, um, one of those moves that is hard to assess on its own because Mm -hmm. if it is the only move, then it's a bit of a head scratcher because it's not really anything significant in either direction. Um, But if the right moves are made after it, which arguably they weren't with the Cano trade, um, if the right moves are made after it, it could be great. Now, this being the Mets, I don't ever think that the right moves are going to be made at any point. So it kind of comes down to a little nihilism of like, it's all going to be terrible. So Stroman is really fun to watch. He's a really good pitcher. He's young. He's exciting. Like he's happy to be here. if this move is just isn't you know setting up something big and wonderful like if it's all going to be terrible anyway which it probably will be I'm just happy to have a player like that on our team to root for yeah 
I took, I completely agree with that. Um, and it seems like this is one of those trades where, um, and I haven't talked to too many people on the Blue Jays side, but I have talked to a couple. Um, my cousin's a huge, huge Blue Jays fan, um, and I've talked to a couple of Twitter.com Blue Jays fans, and they're pissed about this too. So like, it seems like yeah. Mets Twitter and Blue Jays Twitter both were angry about this trade, which probably well, means for- it's probably fine. <laughs> I forget who it was, but it... I want to say it might have been Laura Albanese, and she's like, this is the rare trade that pissed off three different fan bases, because Yankee fans were mad, too. Very mad, yes, yes. <laughs> Big mad. Well, when it comes to the package that was traded for him, I think from Mets fans' perspective, it was it was a hefty price tag because it was such a big chunk of the Mets farm system. But from any other team's perspective... The Mets farm system is garbage, and a hefty chunk of garbage is still garbage. Indeed. So it's not to say, I mean, look, those they're they're good prospects. Like they are, I would say it's probably a scant price to pay for Strowman. I you think that other teams would have offered a bit more. Um, but yeah, it's that's I think that's where some of the valuation inequities come from. Right. Uh, exactly. Um, I think that the people that the um, the segment of Mets Twitter that is melting down over this and there is a segment of Mets Twitter that is definitely melting down over this. Um, I think what they don't realize is that, you know, like the Mets, like two best prospects are like the 20th best prospects in <laughs> other systems. Um, like this isn't actually like objectively when you look at the talent it's actually not that big of a return and Yankees fans and other fan bases that you know are are teams that are closer to contention than the Mets are um that are angry about this it's kind of like well what are contending teams what are y'all doing like step up and beat that package it wouldn't be that hard for any of you to beat that package I don't understand like contending teams I need you to say beat I need you to say beat that package like eight more times. <laughs> beat that package, beat that package. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't understand what the contending teams are doing because the the teams that so far the Mets have acquired Stroman and then now, and Trevor Bauer is going to be another conversation for later in the pod. We're not talking about Trevor Bauer, the human being right now. Uh, that's going to come later. Um, but the, it looks like the look, the Reds are in on Trevor Bauer, which is like, like why are the Reds in on Trevor Bauer? It's like you're letting the, the non-contending teams beat out your, um, you know, your offer. That's That seems bad. <laughs> and it's just, it's weird that... It's the Mets being aggressive. Like, even in the offseason, they're the ones that, like, kind of, like, jump-started the offseason, too. I'm not saying if that was a good or bad thing, but I don't know, like, if them being aggre- like, aggressive is necessarily a good thing because it didn't really pay off in the offseason. So I don't know if people are just waiting out the market because they know the Mets usually Mets it up. But yeah. I don't know. Well, it already sounds like they might have done so accidentally by, like, establishing <laughs> because their prospects are so bad. They may have, like, lowered the market on the cost for pitchers. Right, right. Like, which the is hilarious. Who they are themselves trying to trade. And, and that would be that would be just some serious peak Mets. Yeah, that's if that is actually what's happening. That's some epic Metsing. They done played themselves as usual. Like, I, I mean, it, it, I don't know how much that was a part of their motivation. Now, trying to predict, trying to get into the minds of the Mets is like almost a fruitless exercise. Like this trade has confused the entire industry. And so I'm kind of with you guys where I'm like, I'm pretty confused about this, but you know what? Marcus Stroman's pretty goddamn fun. So I'm just like excited about that. So I'm just going to enjoy that. But it's, it's hard to say whether part of their motivation was to, as like a couple of beat writers have put it, like corner the market or like hijack the market on the starting pitching being like, all right, now we have three of the pitchers that everyone would want. Well, like 3.5 if you count Vargas who got already got traded, but like we have like three of the pitchers that everyone wants now. So if you want a, you know, mid market to high market, if you're talking about Syndergaard starting pitcher, you essentially have to go through us at this point. 
And so I don't know how much that was a part of their motivation. If it was, they kind of did screw themselves by sending what seems to be a, you know, not very good return from the perspective of the Blue Jays and other teams. (laughs) Well, and also, I don't know if, because like we said, trying to get into this team's thinking is kind of a fruitless endeavor, but... um, like, or are they like doubling down? Like, well, we went for it in the off season; it all fell apart. But we just got to keep going with what we had and try again. I guess. So yeah, like, because Strowman is still there next year. So, I mean, why not try it with Strowman? Because none of none of these other guys are going anywhere unless you trade Syndergaard. But everything else, the rest of the team is practically staying the same unless you truly blow it up. Like, if you trade Conforto, but. There has been absolutely no talk of that. So you might as well maybe try again with this group and see what happens. Sure. And if you're doubling down for, you know, either like a miracle run in 2019, but more likely you're doubling down for 2020. And I'm on board with that plan. If you do that, you have to actually do it, though. Mm -hmm. Strowman can't be the last thing you do. That's not, that's clearly not enough. You've, and honestly, like, obviously, Jason Vargas, which, whom he's effectively at the moment replacing in the rotation, was having a pretty damn good year to begin with. So it's not like you're, it's not like, it's not like the gap is as big as it seems on paper when you think about Jason Vargas to Marcus Stroman. Obviously, Stroman is the superior pitcher, but like, when you actually look at their stat lines, it's not as much of an improvement as you, you'd think it would be. And clearly, like, the team isn't a contending team as it is, even with Jason Vargas pitching absolutely out of his mind. So, uh, like, if you go for it in 2020, like, actually do the do the subsequent moves necessary. And that's where, essentially, they fell short this year. Like, again. It's where they fall short every, every year. year. Like, like, we were talking about this in 2015. Like, they were like, eh, we almost made it. Let's keep the same team and see what happens. And they Spoiler got lucky. Yeah. And they stuck yeah. around long enough that they finally were, at the trading deadline, they were close enough that they were able to finish finish the deal but you know it took the nationals ridiculously underperforming and the mets like barely hanging in there at the trading deadline to convince them to do it yeah and in 2016 too it's like oh well we we, we almost made it so let's try again with these guys like okay they bought in as Drupal and neil walker but it wasn't like like the astros won and got garrett cole like that's Like the, the, that's not even on the Mets radar at nope. at all, and the Astros actually won and still weren't satisfied. So like, yeah, say, it, with, go ahead, Maggie. Sorry. Oh, with the Mets being the Mets, um, I mean, I feel like this, the crew that they appear to be going into 2020 with seems no less likely than other teams they've had to do their classic, like, every 10 years fall ass backwards into a division title, like, oops, that they seem to pull off. Um, I can kind of, you can, if you squint, you can see how the thing, the the dominoes can fall in the right way with this guy, with this crew. So, I mean, again, if we're being very, like, nihilistic, like, none of this matters, the Mets are always just going to be the Mets, then, then you, a high-variance team that can, you know, fall into an 87 win season is, you know, one of the better things you could do. Yeah. And I mean, again, like this trade on paper is fine, but you have to like, you know, do the subsequent moves necessary. And it's kind of, this is how exactly how I felt about the Cano Diaz trade at the time. I was like, on paper, I'm fine with this trade. A lot of people were not. And I respect that. But on paper, I was very fine with the trade. With what we gave up with, I know Kalanick hurts, but, you know, Diaz was the best reliever in baseball. Like, at the time, he was. Um, And keep in mind that Kalanick was, at the time, he was a good prospect, certainly, but not the prospect he is now. He is already, like, way better of a prospect than he was when we traded him. But that's how I felt about it. And I was like, okay, if they really are, like, going balls to the wall and going for it, then fine. Then this trade is appropriate, and then go for it. But they didn't go for it enough and now they ended up where they are now and they might still trade Edwin Diaz for a fraction of what they traded to get him in the first place which would be extremely galaxy brain 
And also, you could have just avoided everything and signed Kimbrel. Like, you sold the farm to get Diaz, and now you're mad at Diaz, and you're going to get rid of him. But you might as well stick with him because you sold the farm for him. But if he hadn't been cheap to begin with, none of this would have happened. Right. Yeah. So, like, Marcus Stroman trade, fine with it. Go for it in 2020, then. Really go for it. And don't trade Syndergaard. And don't, don't trade Cindergard. Don't trade no, Cindergard. Oh he looks so good tonight, Cheryl. <sighs> I mean, to be fair, like I don't think they're going to. No, this he wouldn't a, be pitching if this is if a classic were. Mets move where they swear to God they're really this time they're gonna trade the guy, but they want to be blown away, and it's just because they think there's someone out there as dumb as they are. And yeah. that's just never going to be the case. Yeah, like we've said in previous iterations of this podcast, the Mets think that other teams think like the Mets. So, like, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, like, of course, other teams are going to give us what we want for Syndergaard. But they won't. Because right now, the Padres are offering, like, Manny Margot. And I'm just like, Ugh. no thanks. No, forget it. No. Yeah. Like, just ride with what you got. Yeah, like yeah, we already have Juan Lagares. We don't need another Juan Lagares. We need one fewer Juan Lagares. So Juan Lagares is going to be a free agent. Got to replace him with Manny Margot. Very important. Got to trade Syndergaard to make that happen. No, don't do that. Um, Okay, but can we just laugh at the Phillies now? Yes, we absolutely. (laughs) Like, was this the long con by the Mets to like sabotage from within? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like. You know, Vargas is having a good year. He might help the Phillies out. Their pitching situation is quite bad. But yeah. To be fair, also, like, they, they traded him for the human embodiment of a bag of balls. Yes. True. Yes. <laughs> Who's friends with uh, Jeff Wilpon's son. That's so weird. <laughs> okay. Of course. I don't know how conspiracy theory oriented our listeners are, but that, that that's that's uh, that's just a factoid I'm going to throw out there. I'm, it may or may not have anything to do with anything, but... It's it exists. It's it's a thing worth acknowledging that, you know, <laughs> that this is a connection to Jeff, a personal connection to Jeff Wilpon a little bit. Um, but also like like even getting a human embodiment of a bag of balls for um, Vargas is is a, a I wouldn't say like a laudable achievement, but like perfectly serviceable. I was extremely I mean, like, consider. I was extremely expecting just cash, cash considerations. <laughs> and like, or honestly, a player to be named later. I wouldn't have complained if it was either of those things. I wouldn't have either. Honestly, it's no. just what it is. I mean, if you had told us we would get somebody for Vargas last year, at this time last year, we would have been rejoicing. The main reason I'm really happy about it is just because I like because knowing the Mets, they would have picked up his goddamn option, and like, I don't. I oh, didn't yes. want them to do that. So just trading him to avoid the Mets doing a Mets and picking up his option on board with it. And they still would have been pitching him in like the end of August with a six ERA. (laughs) Sure. Just because they couldn't let that $8 million option go. Yep. Obviously. (laughs) And like, well, and also now the Phillies have to pay the $2 million option if they don't want him. No, actually the Mets, I think the Mets sent sent them $2 million for that specific for the literally because of that they sent over two million which is like exactly his buyout so but that's okay that's okay. fine we whatever want this <laughs> do not throw with pete's head like that Ooh, ooh, spicy do i have to fight somebody okay, it was a curveball but still i don't like things <laughs> near pete's head <laughs> don't you come out our polar bear we come from no. you um but yeah so I don't really, I mean, okay, so the, like I said, there is is there a chance that Jason Vargas is, like, helps out the Phillies and is better than, like, Zach Eflin or whatever, who's, like, getting his ass kicked routinely? Sure. But is is Vargy going to get absolutely murdered by Citizens Bank Park? Also, probably. There's going to be a lot of sweat in there. A lot of sweat. I think he's, like, a six ERA on the road. Ooh. Yeah, no, he's not good. I no. mean, like he—he he wasn't his... good on Sunday. Let's be real. Like, no, he yeah, he was bad and on barely Sunday. held it. Yeah, like he's not. Um, no. his his sort of smoke and mirror stuff has been fine, and there were times for sure when he was the Mets' best starter. But that is not so much about Vargas, and much more about the rest of it. Yeah, and like I get it's about you know 
getting ground balls and, you know, even with the diminished stuff, like, he knows how to get out. But still, but he doesn't get well... a lot of ground balls, though. Like, yeah. that's, he's a fly ball dude. And especially in Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, it's not going to be, it's going to be ugly. It's yeah. like, it's like Bartolo Colon extreme, like. And his FIP is, like, more than half a run higher than his ERA. Yeah. And that's, like, not gonna get better. Are the Phillies, like, I mean, they granted they already hate us, and their fans already hate us, but this is, we, we sent them Joey Bats last year. We sent them as Drupal, which neither one panned out. Yeah, as Drupal was really bad for them. Neither was, Joey Bats was pretty bad towards the end, too. <laughs> I mean, Joey Bats was bad with, with the Mets, too, so. And we got a legit dude for his Drupal. <laughs> yeah, we did get a legit dude. Too bad he's hurt. I know. But, but like, but like so why do the Phillies keep trading with us? I don't know. Whatever. I mean, oh, well. it'll it be... Like the, like the time the, the, the Mets traded with the Braves for... Oh, who was it? He came over with uh, Juan Uribe in... Oh, Kelly 20... Johnson! Yes, Kelly, Kelly Johnson! Did they trade for Kelly Johnson three times? Or did yeah, I just make just up twice. the last time? Okay. It was only <laughs> two times, back. It was both from the Braves, right? I'm not... Yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm like, thank like, you, Braves, for picking up that Kelly Johnson on your trip to their supermarket this morning. <laughs> I liked Kelly Johnson. I and then too. they felt like we could have used him the next year, and they were like, no, we're all Kelly johnson out, thank you. <laughs> One Kelly but Johnson add to cart. Yeah, instead they signed freaking Jose Reyes, but Kelly Johnson probably could have been useful. You know, oh. the Mets went to the playoffs 100% of the seasons when Kelly Johnson was with them. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Circling back to Marcus Stroman, I'm pretty pumped that he's taking Jose Reyes's number. That's Oh, awesome. yeah. That, that's great. I know worth it's it. not a petty bitch move, but in my heart, it is a petty bitch move. Mm-hmm. Worth, the, worth trading for him just for that, because I want to get all the bad vibes of number seven like out of my system. And I'm very excited to detoxify by watching Marcus Stroman wear that uniform number instead of Jose Reyes. Pretty pumped about that. And I think he's the first pitcher in history to have a single digit, or in Mets history to have the single digit. Which also owns, by the way. I love yes. that. I, I like it. it. It's weird, and weird stuff is cool. Weird it stuff is. is cool, which is why I really, aside from the fact that he's good, it's why I really wanted Adam Odovino because he wears zero, and that yes. that's amazing. Um. Anyway, well, so you know, Brayer yeah. Donez did it first. Oh yes, that's true. Um. So anyway, to sort of wrap up our you know Mets trade deadline madness, which is ongoing as we speak. Who knows what'll happen? Um. The thing that really is weird about all of this is like if I would feel actually really good about the Marcus Stroman trade if I thought that the Mets had like a cohesive organizational philosophy and plan. But I think that this was the result of them waking up in the morning being like, huh, I think we'll trade for Marcus Stroman today. Like, that's how they seem to, like, do all their moves, and that is what is concerning me about it, not the actual, like, on-paper trade. It's the fact that, like, I think they're doing it without an actual plan, and that's a little scary. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. So, who knows what the Mets are doing? Who can ever predict the Mets? If anyone does know what the Mets are doing, please email us. We want to know. If you have theories. We want to hear from you. If you have theories about what the Mets are ever doing, <laughs> please email us, own at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you because we have no idea what the Mets are doing, and I don't think many people do. Um, so we're going to take a short break, um, and when we get back, um, in light of some recent <laughs> Twitter spats and various things, we are going to talk about baseball players being online. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back. Um, So this week, um, we decided to talk about um, baseball players and their online personas um, and how, you know, they interact with the world online and how sometimes that's good and then how a lot of times that's really bad. Um, So part of what spurred this on from a Mets perspective is um, 
Anthony DeComo's gotten in a Twitter spat with two separate Mets players in like the past like couple weeks. Um, so first, the first one was like a little less like controversial or a little less like whoa there, um, and it was with Noah Syndergaard. Um, and it was, you know, it's weird because Tacoma is one of the, like, you know, more chill Mets beat writers. Like, he doesn't really have, like, controversies like this all that often. He just kind of, like... Well, and I, and I think it is relevant that he writes for MLB.com. So he right. is, like, kind of as close to an in-house guy. I mean, they're all sort of in this weird incestuous relationship with teams, but, like, him even more so. Like, he really is incentivized to cast the team in a good light. Yeah. Not that it's saying that he, like, is not an honest reporter. Tacoma's great. But, like, he really is not looking to pick any fights. Right, right. And he's, like, you know, he's been, he's been, he's one of the longer tenured beat reporters at this point that the Mets have had. And he, like, you know, he's just very, like, he does his job every day and very, like, not, like, I, I, let's just put it this way. He's one of the beat reporters I would have expected to be in a spat with a player the least. (laughs) Out of all yeah. the Mets beat reporters. Anyhow, yeah, I can see that. Um, he he made a tweet, as you know, the media is wont to do. Um, oftentimes, other beat reporters more often than Tacoma. I was surprised to see this out of him. But he made a tweet after, you know, this, the, the really bad 16-inning game, the, like, against the Giants, the really bad 16-inning walk-off game. He tweeted, after one of the tougher losses, Mets losses of the season, there was a pretty stark difference between losing Chris, uh, losing pitcher Chris Mazza, who stood in front of his locker and answered every question, and starter Noah Syndergaard, who bolted out of the clubhouse without answering any. So, you know, it's a very typical media complaint that when players don't talk to the media, they get very salty about it. Uh, they did this with Matt Harvey all the time, especially toward the end when he was declining and he really didn't want to talk about it to the media. They would trash him for it. And so Syndergaard, you know, replied to it online and said, uh, this is what you go with after a tough 16-inning marathon loss. Anthony, I have nothing but respectful and pro- I've been nothing but respectful and professional with you over the years if you have an issue with me talk to me in person like a man this is below you you've changed our relationship in one tweet congrats which people were like "Ooh, spicy Um, i mean it's like it's a pretty it's so that's just it it feels like it's something that's pretty professionally worded and it's a it's a sentiment that i sympathize with but like also this is all happening on a social media website and that to me is and that I think kind of gets to the core of what we're talking about here which is like what does it mean to be online for an athlete like is that an appropriate place to be airing what may very well be a reasonable grievance um you know is that I don't know is that what what we want from them or do and if we don't want them to voice that part of themselves like what else would we be losing from those interactions? But I think also the issue too is now we're getting to players who've grown up with this and I think they just don't know any other way. Like they've grown up with social media at this point and to this, this, for them, this is normal. Yeah. And maybe it should be. And like, maybe that is, you know, I don't necessarily think, and we're obviously going to be looking at some cases where like there was badness, but overall, you know, I do wonder, like, is the net effect of having athletes be, you know, publicly social media open, um, is it a positive or a negative? And I feel like, you know, it's with the Syndergaard thing, it's not, you know, he was obviously angry, um, but he wasn't bullying or nasty about it. Um, but a lot of times guys in that situation are, and I thought that Frazier really showed a much less flattering portrait of himself, um, a couple weeks later. I don't think we read those tweets yet, but like, you know, Syndergaard's response to Tacoma was, um, maybe not great, but like, I thought Frazier was actually totally out of line. Yeah, I agree with that completely, Maggie. I think that like, and I'll read the Frazier tweet next, but I think that it's interesting that these two players had a spat with the same guy in like the span of like a week. And I think that there's such a stark difference between them that they're almost representative of like how you can use your platform to, you know, air out issues in sort of a like 
positive way. Like positive is probably too too positive of a word. But <laughs> a respectful way. In a respectful way that like, you know, uses your platform in a way that like shows other people, that sets a good example versus, you know, a, a very negative and toxic way, which is what the Fraser tweet was. So I'll read. So, and, and again, the, and I think the other huge difference is like not only the disproportionate response, but like, the tweet that he's responding to is not even nearly as antagonistic as the tweet that Syndergaard responded to. Syndergaard was responding directly to a tweet where about him called him out and was like, he didn't talk to the media and it was kind of like, you know, petty. Like I hate it when reporters do that stuff. And Syndergaard basically called him out on it and was like, we've had a respectful professional relationship and you've just, you know, soiled that. Um, But this Como tweet it was about Frazier but it wasn't like a calling him out on anything he just made a tweet and Frazier like flipped out so allow me to read the tweet so Decomo tweeted a nice game today for trade candidate Todd Frazier who has reached base in all four of his plate appearances two walks a single a two-run double and zero strikeouts for just the fourth time in 16 games in the starting lineup this month so he literally said a nice thing about Todd Frazier and Todd Frazier replied another useless stat by you what else is new I actually did strike out too so get your calculator out and give the fans the percentages they really don't care about keep up the good work though so like, it's such a bizarre what I'm like and like I get it like okay so sure that was a little dig at his strikeout tendencies but like he has been a strikeout guy his whole career so he has heard this a lot. Um, it was also like, again, it was contextualized very positively. And again, just like of all the tweets in all the world, that's the one that drives him into a frenzy. It's so, it it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then he got mad and he started blocking people if people called him out on it. Yeah, and he was like retweeting things that people had written in his defense I mean, like ra- random fans online like insulting to call it was a weird it was a really weird vibe and it kept going for like a couple hours I think it was odd yeah and like this isn't I mean I think that this is the it as far as I can recall at least during his Mets tenure this is his first like antagonistic like interaction with like a Mets beat reporter this way online but this isn't Todd Frazier's first, you know, first rodeo with Twitter feuds, though, in general. Um, Todd Frazier has been, like, you know, pretty, like, he's been in the replies on many things on Twitter before. He got into a spat with, like, a New Jersey radio station. It might have been oh, NJ, NJ yes, 101.5, I, I think. Yes. He got into, like, a huge Twitter feud with, like, the the radio station over, I can't even remember what now. Like, something. Say, so- if you find yourself getting into a lot of Twitter feuds... It's just, like, do something different. Like, log off, man, for, like, a little while. I'm not saying that, like, you know, I'm not saying, like, certain, I'm not saying players shouldn't have Twitter or, like, shouldn't interact with the fans, but, you know, you gotta, you gotta step back from it sometimes or you're gonna drive yourself insane. Just log off for a while. Well, and also, I don't, like, I don't know if they think of it this way, but... There's also a balance of power. I don't know if they know they even have. Like, when Noah Syndergaard tweets, he's going to get retweeted a bunch more times than Anthony DeComo. So now, like, randoms, like, all across the internet who have no clue who Anthony DeComo is are going to have an assumption about him now just based on one Noah Syndergaard tweet. So that's kind of not fair either. And you could kind of put that out there. So... It's it's a hard balance because if, you know, a player, if he feels slighted, has every right to say something about it. But it's also the power you wield behind it, too. Well, and this is a really great segue, actually, into what I think is the most extreme example of what you're exactly describing right now, which is what Trevor Bauer has done Mm -hmm. in the past um, with with um, just I mean, the, the, the term that feels accurate to me would be attacking but maybe we can say something neutral, like addressing um, women in particular online in a very, say, angry way and also a very public way that diverts, um, that consciously diverts a significant amount of harassment towards 
just, I mean, random regular people who are not multimillionaire athletes with PR firms. And giant platforms. Like, yeah, it's just like these these people have to be really careful how they use this platform. And what's ironic to me about the Trevor Bauer thing is that so like he's a he's a jerk for like various reasons, not just this, but like one of the other things that came out about him that makes him look like a sociopath is that article about his rules of dating. Oh, oh God, I completely forgot, yeah, about, I that. forgot Look, about that. Thanks for reminding me, Allison. I really Sorry. needed that in my life. Sorry that oh. I reminded you that this particular article exists, but it does, and it's pretty bad. And I won't go into all the details of it because it's not necessary for this conversation. But the part that I'm thinking about is one of his rules is that no social media, like, interaction with him. Like, no social media about him because I have a career to protect, blah, 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 which in and of itself, when you remove who's speaking and remove all context from the situation is a fine stance to take. If you are a public facing person and you are, and you want to keep your private life private. Absolutely. I respect that. But when you're Trevor Bauer and you're publicly harassing women online and you're telling women that you are involved with that they can't tweet about you, that's pretty ironic to me. (laughs) Oh, and that's also very telling because that is, that's what he wants to protect. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to protect his like, his like kind and loving persona. No, he he wants to protect his reputation as a bully. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Well, and also what I don't get is oh, he threw a ball over the center field fence, which is you know showed some real you know I think anger issues. But that's what everybody's upset about. Like, this is what, like, you didn't see all the other red flags leading up to this. Now you want to make a big deal out of this. Yeah. Like, everyone who's freaking out about that knew exactly who he was as a person. Like, yeah. that's n- this isn't new stuff. This is just, it, it's happening on the ball field now. And so all of a sudden it's a problem. Except it's not really. Like, everybody feigned outrage about it for like, t- for like a day and a half. But he's still probably going to get traded. And it's probably not going to affect the return that comes back. Like, yeah. teams are actively, it's the same, it's like, you know, like, teams actively are happy to trade for you know people who perpetrate domestic violence so we shouldn't be surprised them a deal <laughs> yeah it gets them a cheaper trade value so we shouldn't be surprised that teams have zero yeah. qualms about trading for known bad person and harasser of women online trevor bauer like no one should be surprised by this but like um, i get like social media for guys today is like building your brand but why do you want your brand to be a bully like, why is that what you want to be? I don't know. That's, I don't want to bully. Because bullies mind. like bullies. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to armchair psychology this, but I think part of that weighs in some very, very deep-seated mental problems that he has. Yeah, well, yeah. I think he even said he was bullied as a kid. Yeah. He, yeah, Which... and you're just continuing the cycle. Yeah, which erodes your social skills. Like when you, you know, when you experience things like that during your formative years, it's not, and I'm not saying this as an excuse for what he's doing. There's absolutely no excuse for him being such a shit person. Um, but, you know, it's it's not surprising that he turned out this way. But it's also like, like you can run into so many dangers like with social media like even we all love Alex Breitman but even he slid into somebody's DMs and like cursed him out because the guy suggested trading him for Chris Sale and it wasn't even he didn't tag Alex Breitman he didn't say anything Alex Breitman name searched for this guy and then just totally went off for no reason don't name search don't ever nothing good has ever come for any human of searching for your own name on Twitter don't do it. Not under any circumstances. Yeah, sorry. For real. It doesn't matter how famous or not famous you are. It is a losing prospect every step. Yeah, but so like even like the good ones have prone to like have meltdowns yeah. on social media. And I don't get like I don't get what it is about Twitter that just brings out the worst in people. It's 
I mean, it's a it's a combination of a lot of things, and we could go into a whole other podcast segment about you know the sociology behind social media um, and why it is the way it is. But part of it is that like the wall between the like you know it's an invisible wall; it's not a physical yeah. wall. But the wall between the fan base and the players is is you know more invisible than ever because they can interact with them directly. Um, or or indirectly if they have, you know, people that tweet for them, as I, I suspect Noah Syndergaard does. And I think that that makes a huge difference between <laughs> the way that Noah Syndergaard approaches social media and the way that Todd Frazier approaches social media, partially because Noah Syndergaard doesn't write all of his tweets. <laughs> and it's not to say that, like, Noah Syndergaard doesn't sometimes go online and tweet or that, like, there's anything wrong with that, but, like, maybe more players need to have some sort of a professional run system in place that will hold them back from some of the more rash interactions. Just, just a thought. Maybe yeah. then things like Josh Hader would not have happened because. Oh my God. Oh God. And that was really, and like, that's one of those things too, where um, this was a couple years ago, I think right around the, um, actually it was last year. I remember because I was at my family reunion during the all, it was like right around the time of the all-star game. It was like right It came that. out that he from people would describe it as his childhood. He was an older teenager. Yeah. He um, was like and he was 16 or 17. Really. Like 17. Um, really grotesque racist language and not like a I don't know I can't think of any like remotely appropriate examples to make but this was not this was not just like kids being kids misunderstanding this was like really nasty slurs hateful racist shit um and it was just up there and like like, let me put it, like, no one has ever forgotten that they spoke that way repeatedly as, like, 16, 17-year-olds. He knew and just didn't care and couldn't possibly even conceive of anybody else caring. And, like, his reaction also to being caught was the kind that clearly displayed he did not actually have any regrets for the way he behaved, just the way he was caught. Um, right. But yeah, it was that was a really that was really depressing how that all went down and so predictable too. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. And it keeps happening too. It was Sean Newcomb after that. There was somebody else too. I think I do think finally, for better or for worse, because like it's not that you want the racism to stay hidden. It's just it's really hard when it comes out like that, so grotesque. um, That I think they've finally caught on. And yeah. have like deleted their and own have tweet. largely deleted their incredibly disgusting tweets. Can we just better. say that better, Marcus, yeah, Marcus Stroman's old tweets were David Wright and Johan Santana. Very good old tweets from Marcus Stroman. Marcus so at Stroman. least there's that. Um, and this all, like you know, this all kind of goes back to you know, the overarching theme of a lot of what we talk about on this podcast, which is toxic masculinity. Even, so the way that Todd Frazier reacted, for example, the way that Trevor Bauer reacts when, you know, they feel threatened in some way is extremely toxic and it's pervasive throughout the sport. And even if you go back to the Syndergaard tweet, even a more, like, you know, reasoned reaction he still brings up face me like a man basically it's like a phrase he uses talk to me in person like a man you know like what what does that mean exactly and it mickey calloway used that same phrase and ruined the whole jeff mcneil dog thing even the mets like uh even good it's like everything has to come down to to like proving yourself like everything has to be some head-to-head combat sort of interaction as opposed to like having a conversation with a fellow human being out of respect like that is not even an option that is considered it's just like fight me brah 
Yeah, like it's fight me, send tweet. Like, ugh. and like, ugh. yeah. So Mickey Calloway invoked that phrase, like, "Be a man," basically, when Jeff McNeil was literally asking his wife if he could get a dog, which is like a big, you know, life change that normal people would discuss with their partners. Like, and she what? would be taking care of it, probably. Yeah, yeah that was on the what road. made me mad about the whole thing. Is that like, is that he's on the road half the year? She's gonna be walking that dog. Yeah, so, and, I'm, and like they got the dog. I'm very glad they did, but I'm also very glad that he didn't show up to the poor woman's house. Surprise! Here's a dog. Right, and they have an old kitty too. I'm worried about the old kitty. Yeah, old cats don't care about anything. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so like even a like pure moment of like Jeff McNeil falling in love with a puppy has to be ruined by toxic masculinity by Mickey Cowboy being like, "Oh, a real man wouldn't have to ask his wife for permission." Shut up. Jesus oh, was Christ. it? I think it was Lindsay Adler. It was like a real man wouldn't have his t- his pitching decisions dictated by BGL. <laughs> Boy, howdy, that's the truth. <laughs> Get owned. Wow. So yeah, like this phrase is invoked all the time. Like, and even even though you know Mets fans ate that shit up, but Noah Syndergaard being like, "Meet me sixty feet six inches away." Like, all of this is part of this. Like, all of this is. You know, and it leaks into the way they interact with people online. And it makes it a lot easier when you don't have to talk to the person's face and you can just say, you can just tweet something. Um, Again, like we talked about in the online harassment episode, it's a lot easier when people are semi or completely anonymous to say terrible things to them. (sighs) Yeah, pretty much. But sometimes I don't know. you said it. <laughs> sometimes it's good. Like we're not saying that players shouldn't have Twitter. It's just that players need to be cognizant of the platform that they have and how they want to use that platform. And they can choose whether they want to use it for positive things or for negative things. Because there are players that are shining examples of using their platform for positive things. Sean Doolittle is a shining example of this. Sean Doolittle has a thread of independent bookstores in every city that he travels to with the team. And that is my favorite. That's my favorite thing. Not my favorite baseball thing. My favorite thing of all the things. It's so good. And like Curtis Granderson. Yeah, Curtis Granderson is basically just like about every tweet is like how he's an amazing human being. (laughs) Like that's also good. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Like. And also, it is it it does bring you closer. Like they're allowed to have personalities, and it does bring you closer to your player, your favorite players, and you kind of know who they are more. And you know that makes it more personal. You feel more excited to watch them pitch. But then, so it is it can be good in that way. And you know, Syndergaard did that um, Q and A, and he answered you. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, and that was fun. Like, we that were all kind of freaking out about that. Like, that's fun. Like, oh, my God, he answered my tweet. So, like, that's fun. And so it is it is a good thing to bring fans in. But at the same time, like, and even though we follow Lucas Duda Instagram account, how fun was that? Very fun. Yeah, so it is. there is a way to do it, but it's just something that they need to be more cognizant of, of the power they wield and just how it can affect somebody too in real life and not just online. And I also think we see um, what we're seeing kind of highlighted is behavior that unfortunately is not uncommon among men and young men online. It's just that we're seeing it very starkly because they're public figures. And I think it, we can't miss the larger story of people are shitty online. Yeah, well, because there's no consequences. Yep. So you say something shitty, you know, has Trevor Bauer faced any consequences for his tweets? No. Not even a little, and he never will. Nope. No, he absolutely never will. So until there's some real-world consequences to your online behavior, what do they care? I I can't even imagine that, that one of his teammates or friends or someone who he respects has even gone up to him and said, and like, like, yeah, that wasn't cool what you did. Or, like, that was a really unkind way to act. Like, that wouldn't, like, not even something that isn't even really a consequence, but more like, 
an acknowledgement of wrong being done. Like, not even that will ever happen. No. Nope. Nope. Although uh, Trevor Bauer is probably the one person who I don't think would even care about what his peers have to say. No. Yeah. yeah, that's a very good point. No, he wouldn't care. But other players would, I think. Um, so I, I think that, like, Todd Frazier would care if somebody went up to him and was like, listen, maybe you shouldn't be, like, you know, spatting with Anthony Tacoma on Twitter. Because yeah, then there was that story today that Todd Frazier is, like, helping special build a ball field for special needs kids. Like, he's a good human being. Just yeah, he's a, saying shitty things. He's a good dude. He just has a bit of a temper. He's, like, a bit of a ass, yeah. but he's a good yeah. dude. I don't know. It's It's unfortunate. Well, then that's also the risk you run with social media because it can kind of turn you off to people, too. Yeah. Yeah. And we shall see if Todd Frazier is even a Met by tomorrow. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Has um, anything broken in the last hour? I keep looking. The breeze created. Syndergaard's still in the game. <laughs> yes, and he's looking very good, although the offense is not. Yeah. Um, Shocking. Yeah. The Braves traded for somebody from the Rangers. Yeah, Chris Martin. Okay. Yeah, and so sure. nothing, nothing earth-shattering. Things are happening, but not crazy. But Noah Syndergaard is still on the mound, and nobody's sitting next to him. <laughs> in- oh, shit, does he have a no-hitter? <gasps> Damn it, Linda, look what you <sighs> just did. You said that <laughs> out loud. Do you have any tweets we're going to get about that? On the bench. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you no, said no. that out loud. What is done? <laughs> With that uttered into the the Sorry, podcasting space, so we're gonna take a break before <laughs> before things go south. And when we get back, we're gonna have walk off wins. So stay tuned. Okay, we are back. Um, and we are going to finish the show as we always do, um, with walk-off wins where each of us talks about what's making us happy this week, baseball related or otherwise. So obviously our walk-off win is the, is is the no hitter that Noah Syndergaard just finished (laughs) throwing, right? Look, Zisha (laughs) just tweeted it too. So it's not just me. (laughs) Linda's like, I don't accept responsibility for this. (laughs) I need to find somebody else for this. What inning is it? It's only the fifth. Oh, okay. Oh, but the fifth is okay. I, I, I mean, the sixth it's is when it really fifth. is like that's when you turn it on. Yeah. But, it's, oh, it's yeah. the top of the fifth. No, it doesn't count yet. And I'm writing the, the final score post for this game. Okay. Um, yeah. the Mets offense has been really bad. They've left a lot of runners in this. Game. You're not going to need a, need a lot of numbers for this score update. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's how it works, right? You yeah. Like use up all your numbers. Yeah. <laughs> um. So our walk-off win is actually kind of all the same this week. Um, So we, uh, as people who follow us on Twitter, and if you aren't following us on Twitter, you should. We are at a pot of our own. Yay! Um, So as uh, people who follow us on Twitter saw, we were all at the game on Sunday. All three of us. It's the first time all three of us have ever hung out in real life together at the same time. So Mm -hmm. that was really, really fun. Yeah, I mean, highly recommend. I, yes, and me and Allison were at the game on Wednesday too. Yeah, I got to see Linda twice this week. Yeah, and we were so sad that we, we thought it was might be Noah Syndergaard's final game, but it's it not. Wasn't... It's not yet. Yeah. No. Oh wait, it's no, it's not. definitely not. That's right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wednesday was Wednesday. Uh, that was uh, like, like the only game they lost the homestand. Yes, it was. And Linda and I were there for it. Yeah, from a Mets perspective, it was not great. Noah Syndergaard didn't pitch very well. And, I mean, he was, like, okay. He settled in. He was yeah. okay. He settled in. He had a rough, like, early going. But he wasn't helped out by his defense, like, at all. That was, like, one of the m- many Dominic Smith, like, very bad games. Um, and now, oh, side Ooh, note, beep, Mets beep, note. Beep. Now we know that Dominic Smith might be struggling in the outfield extra because he had a, like, broken foot, basically. <laughs> <laughs> they were running him out there. Cool Mets, cool. Usual Mets shit. Anyway, so yeah, on Wednesday. No, we can't talk about the usual Mets shit because it's walk-off wins. Everything has to be happy. Everything yeah. has to be happy. You know what? It's fine. Only Everything good. is fine. Thanks. 
Um, so yeah, Wednesday wasn't great, but Sunday was great, even though the bullpen like came very close to blowing it, but they but did. They, did they had it. And it was in the bag the whole time. I'm I like, it was it was eight to three when we left, and it didn't stay eight to three. It was not eight <laughs> to three. It was eight to seven. And I'm in the Jim Beam Highball Club with Michael and Kellyanne. There were a bunch of Amazing Avenue people at this game, which was so happy. So I was in the Jim Beam Highball Club with Michael and Kellyanne wearing my Diaz jersey and just like losing my entire shit. And Kellyanne is like holding me like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Well, what I was laughing because I messaged you in the beginning of the inning saying, oh, we should meet up, you know, as we're heading out. Because I'm like, yeah, it's eight to three. You know, this inning will be fine. It'll be over. Womp, womp. And, and then I look at my phone again and I see Allison. I want to fucking die. <laughs> <laughs> Text from Allison. I want to fucking die. Fucking die. <laughs> when I, I had to learn as I as I birthed small children that that my my inability to to leave a game early it was just not something I was going to be able to maintain forever so when it is 94 ish degrees and seats are right in the sun we did not stick it out for the whole thing but you know I didn't want to leave when it was when it was six to three because that still felt close and I was like oh eight to three this is fine everybody's starting to get a little bit grouchy we can head out. It'll be great. And I checked the score when I got home because it's a long subway ride. And I was so mad and so happy that we weren't sitting there under the Tuscan sun burning into our bodies. Um, <laughs> that I missed that whole embarrassment. Oh, Mets. I would say never change, except definitely change. Yeah, please change. We're please begging change. you. Please change. And we saw Vargi's last star. Yeah, we did. That's true. Yeah. The end of an era. Yeah. I mean, like, he, I've... he gave I up three runs person. over five innings. That's Jason Vargas. Vargas. I was going to say, we saw the last Jason Vargas start, and it was extremely Jason Vargas. It was um, all of the Jason Vargas starts. That was my one. first and last Jason Vargas start. Somehow I've missed him. Oh. Like these past two years. Hashtag so now you have to catch them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was an extremely good time. Linda and I got to meet Maggie's wonderful husband and children, which was yes. so great. Um, so finally got to say hi and the best moment of the entire (laughs) encounter is so true (laughs) was I said to Maggie's daughter Maggie said are you excited to see the Mets and she very confidently without skipping a beat went no (laughs) (laughs) now to be fair she says no to everything (laughs) she is too it's her favorite word but also she's right it was amazing. I was like, oh, mood. <laughs> yeah. And we also Ellie got to- Ellie is a walking mood. Ellie is, is just mood day and night. <laughs> the one picture that you posted of her just like laying down on the ground, I was like, yup, sounds yep, about right. feel that. <laughs> oh yeah, Ellie never met a ground she didn't want to lie down on. Yep, And like, Same. I can't fully blame her. I, I greatly prefer sitting lying down, if at all possible, whatever yep. the situation. And we got well, to witness a-, a Conforto group dong in person, yes. all three and of us together. It was beautiful. It was yes. it was just perfect. So we apologize to everyone who was in center field. We were the crazy people screaming, scoot, scoot, and group dog. <laughs> yeah, no one knew what the hell was going on. We were just like, it's a scoot group dog. And people were like, are they speaking English? Are they like, okay? what is happening? And we were scoot, dancing around. Scoot. It was great. Everything was great. It was. I had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. that was a great game. Yeah, and um, we'll have to have another, you know, a Pato game at some point. Um, hopefully, while the Mets are in even better shape than they are right now, and hopefully with most of their roster intact. <laughs> well, uh, uh, they just showed Pete grimacing on second base. <gasps> Why would you even tell me that? Sorry, you couldn't have given me three more minutes where I'd check my phone and go, oh, fucking Mets. Like, come on. Lindo, this is fuck off wins. <laughs> I know I ruined. He's still in the game. He's on okay. the base. Okay. 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 He ran to third. Okay. Okay. I'm going to take deep calming breaths. It's all fine. Maybe he's grimacing 
because Maybe he's just so like, disappointed with how Trevor Bauer carries himself online. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. That is actually true because Pete just started a new initiative against cyberbullying with hey, Gus. Hey, go Pete. Oh, go Snaps Pete. for Pete. Yeah. Gotta get him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we will... Hashtag goals. Yeah, Pete, we that would love to talk to you goals. about cyberbullying. <laughs> or whatever yeah. that. Combat that. Um, so yeah, um, so while we're waiting to find out if anyone is traded, you can get all the latest on all of that on AmazonAvenue.com. We are on top of it. We've got reaction roundups. We've got trade analysis. We've got rumor central. We've got everything happening. Um, we are your one-stop shop for all of the various trade rumors that come to pass and that do not come to pass. Um, go to AmazonAvenue.com for all of that. Um, and you can follow Amazing Avenue on all the social medias. As long as you are respectful and carry yourself well online, follow all of the things on social media on Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can follow us on Twitter at A Pod of Their Own. Like I said, toward the top of the show, you can email the show, aa.apodoftheirown at gmail.com. Um, we will read emails again soon as we get them. You can follow each of us on Twitter. I am at Petite PhD. Where are you, Linda? At Linda Servage. And you, Maggie? At Maggie162. Follow each of us on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter. Please subscribe to Amazing Avenue Audio and get the whole suite of our shows. Rate and review the show on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. Original music for the intro and outro of this show is by Bunga. Let's go Mets. And don't forget, there is no crying in podcasts.